Amen. Amen. Four great dads up here. Amen. Singing that song. Thank you, Miss Heidi. Thank you, Miss Robin. Brother Eric, thank you, Caden. Amen for your ministry and music to us today. I'd like to wish all our dads out there today a <clears throat> very happy Father's Day. Thank you, dads, for all that you have done. Thank you for what you do each day. Dads, thank you for going to work and providing for your families. Amen, church? Thank you for coming home each night after many times a a rugged day on on the job and smiling when you come into the door, playing with your kids. They grow up fast. Amen? I think all of us that have uh, children could look now and, and you know, we, we live in the age of social media and uh, those of you that are maybe on Facebook, you look at those memories. So Mrs. Lawley just posted a memory of you and your dad the other day. And I thought to myself, my goodness, how quickly the time goes. You only have your children for so long. And uh, thank you, dads. Thanks for playing with your kids. Thanks for, for loving your wife. I know that's, uh, for some of us, that's easy uh, to love our wives. But uh, it's what a dad ought to do. One of the best things a dad can do for his children is to love their children's mama. Amen. I think for the past 50 years, Hollywood, college professors, and societal elites have belittled and demeaned fatherhood. But as society drifts further and further downstream and getting ready to go over the falls, so to speak, we see how necessary that good and godly fathers really are. Uh, we've got a bunch of them around here. And, uh, you're certainly appreciated by your pastor. Even, I, I know some of you maybe have, maybe have a little aught with your children right now. And um, trust me, the time comes when you appreciate dad. Uh, my, my boys are teenagers. They don't appreciate dad. They're not supposed to. Amen. It's supposed to be later. Uh, I, I joke, uh, my son Eric just stood up and folded his arms. See, he does, doesn't, yeah. No, it, you, you will later. I, I, listen, I didn't appreciate my dad when I was 15, like I do now. Amen. And uh, so praise the Lord. <clears throat> Here, before Jesus gives the parable of lost things. And that's really what Luke 15 is. Some people have called it the parable of the prodigal son. It's one big parable, the whole chapter. And it's the parable of lost things. And, and before he does that, we see a few things. Just by way of introduction, notice with me the association in verse 1. It said, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. So there's an association here. Publicans, and if you don't say, I don't know what a publican is, as a tax collector for Rome. They worked for Rome, taxing the Jews, and many times stealing extra from the Jews. Trust me, uh, they were not a people that were beloved amongst their own people. Kind of like today's tax collectors. Not really happy to see, you know, I'm from the government and I'm here to help you. I think Reagan said those were the most dangerous words that anybody ever heard in their life. Amen. Yeah. And the sinners, and I think we all understand what it's talking about there in regards to sinners. These were people that were living in open sin. And yet, they had heard about Jesus. They had heard these 
wonderful words of life, maybe from a friend, maybe from a coworker, maybe from a neighbor, maybe from a family member. He said, there was this great crowd that, that heard this miraculous, and, he, and by the way, he put all those Pharisees to silence. And, and, and so uh, they, these, the association here is that publicans and sinners, could we say it this way, ladies and gentlemen? Skid Row. The dregs of society. Not the Sunday morning come to meeting crowd. Came to hear him. Now, by the way, this association is oft taken by modernists and theological liberals as an excuse to stay in your sin. See, Jesus hung out with, with sinners and prostitutes and all that. Yeah, and there was always a change that came over them because he did. Just Friday night, as we're, hallelujah, 18 days through Pride Month. That means we got 18 days in the rearview mirror, glory. And even so, come July, and all God's people said. Friday night, at Dodger Stadium, a group of biological men dressing as nuns were honored. And their motto, Brother Ken, is go and sin some more. A blasphemous take on what Jesus said to the woman taken in adultery. Remember that wonderful story. And it is wonderful. In John chapter 8, they brought to a woman, the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus, brought a woman taken in adultery in the very act. And by the way, I think that was a setup. I think they knew about it just so they can think about how awful that is. And they brought him. And Jesus, you remember, he wrote on the sand. All oh, preachers have preached on what he wrote on the sand. Amen. But they, they said, hey, you know, Moses commanded her to be stoned. And he, you remember what he said? He said, hey, you that's without sin, cast the first stone. And they were all convicted of their own sin and they dropped it. Remember what he said to her? He said to her, he said, woman, where are thine accusers? It's in John chapter 8. Read it for yourself. She said, she said, no man's here to accuse me, Lord. He said, neither do I condemn thee. Now, by the way, he was the only one that could have condemned her if he wanted to. Go and sin no more. Yes, did Jesus associate with publicans and sinners? Yes, he, he never told them to stay in their sin. He never affirmed their sin. He never celebrated their sin. The association. He called on them to repent. Remember what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. It's one of the most beloved verses in the Bible. After the laundry list of sins that are listed in verses 9 and 10. Be, be not deceived, God is not mocked. The unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Neither fornicators, nor drunkards, nor effeminate, nor abusers themselves of mankind. He goes on and on. And he says, and such were some of you, but ye are washed. Yeah, I know in my own life, I'm going to talk about it tonight in, in the message from Psalms, but oh, what a difference since Jesus passed by. There's the association. The publicans and sinners drew near to hear him. But then there's the accusation in verse 2. Look at verse 2. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man eateth with this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. How dare he? The Pharisees were upset that the sinners were coming to Jesus. Think about that statement, ladies and gentlemen. Do we get upset when people come to Jesus who don't look just like we do? Or don't smell just like we do, or don't talk just like we We sure shouldn't if we claim to be the people of God. We ought to be happy that anybody comes to Jesus. I'm talking about truly comes to Jesus. They were upset about it. They were murmuring about Him. Murmuring means to complain. Forgive me, in our day, you know what it is, Brother Lolly? It's whining. It's whining. Somebody dial wine one one. Amen? Somebody call the ambulance. Because they're whining about sinners and publicans coming to Jesus. Why they would whine about that, I have no idea. They didn't want them near them. 
Huh? They were whining. They were critical of him. It's about the only thing the Pharisees were really good at. The ministry of criticism. Which, you know, isn't really a ministry. Except of the devil. They were jealous of him. It's really what it was. And if you read in John chapter 11, after the raising of Lazarus, really they were afraid of him, and they were afraid that he would prove that they were pretty useless, and Rome would take away their part. Remember that in the book of Daniel? Remember, I, I, and it's in Genesis too, when Pharaoh had the dream, and then Nebuchadnezzar had the dream, and they called for all their magicians and soothsayers, all these people, forgive me, that were on the state payroll, but didn't really do much. (laughs) And he said, okay, boys, time for you to strut your stuff. I had a dream. It left me. I can't remember it. I need you to tell me what it is. And they said, wait, whoa, 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 back up a little. Wait, we can't do that. He said, well, you'll do it before such and such a day or you'll all be hanged. And Daniel, and of course, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, had a prayer meeting. They got together and prayed and said, God, you know, you need to reveal this to us. And he did. But you, you remember just the idea of that. They said, hey, we're going to be out of a job here with this Daniel character. We better find something against him. And they couldn't find anything against him but his God. Same thing here in the New Testament, the Pharisees. They were afraid of Jesus. They were jealous of Jesus. They thought, he's going to replace us. So there's the accusation. There's the association. And then in verse 3, for really the rest of the parable, there's the admonition or the teaching. To admonish means to correct. It means to correct. And this little tiny verse, I've preached on this before, and I know some of you have heard me preach through Luke chapter 15, but... This little verse, verse 3, is the key verse in this wonderful parable of lost things. It is the key verse. And you say, what does it say there, Pastor? It says, and he spake this parable unto them. You say, how can that possibly be a key verse? Because it tells us that what Jesus is going to do is he's going to, to teach a parable He's going to use earthly illustrations to convey a heavenly meaning. But he says, and he spake a parable unto them. This wasn't a parable to the publicans and sinners. This was a parable to the scribes and the Pharisees, the ones that had accused him of eating with sinners and not being separate from sinners. What he's going to teach here is for them. And I'll tell you what, when you get that down in verse 3, this parable makes incredible sense, and it's so profound. You say, what's that? Well, again, it's the parable of lost things. In verses 4 through 7, we have the parable of the lost sheep. And that is one lost sheep represents the publicans and sinners that needed help. Don't the publicans and sinners need help? They did. The 99 sheep represented the scribes and the Pharisees that didn't think they needed any help, but still needed the shepherd. Right? So that's the the parable of the lost sheep. Then you have, and and so by the way, notice that ratio, 99 to 1. Right? Right? So then we move from the parable of the lost sheep to the parable of the lost silver. The lady that has ten coins, she loses one, she sweeps the house till she finds it. Amen. So again, the one lost silver coin represents the publicans and sinners. Aren't you glad that somebody swept and looked for you? Amen. Somebody didn't give up till they found you? His name's Jesus. But then the nine coins represent the scribes and the Pharisees that are quote-unquote safe. Now, by the way, still thieves can break through and steal. The Bible says in Matthew 6, 19. So you have the parable of the lost things. You have the lost sheep, 99 to 1. You have the lost silver, 9 to 1. 
And then we have the lost son. The lost son. Really, you could say lost sons, but we'll, we'll stick with the lost son. The tale of the prodigal son. And by the way, what's the ratio there? One to one. The prodigal son represents those publicans and sinners that go astray. And the elder brother, we're going to look at him, represents the scribes and the Pharisees, angry with their arms folded. Would not rejoice that his brother came home. So in this tale, in reality, really all are lost, but the sinners knew it. And they were coming to Jesus. Go back to verse 11, and we see the, the three, really the three characters. There, there are other um, side characters here, the servants, obviously, and the fatted calf. Don't forget about the fatted calf, amen. He's the only one that really lost in this story, the fatted calf. But we see in verse 11, and he said, A certain man had two sons. You know, I've read this before, and I thought to myself, I have two sons. I'm a certain man, right? Well, I think, again, those of us that know the idea here of the, the teaching, the parable, is that this certain man represents God the Father in this teaching. And so we're going to look today, I've, I've got seven points about, I've entitled this message, What a Father. What a father. And maybe us fathers could take away a little bit from this and, and look at this, this example of a father that we have here in God the Father. Notice with me in verse number 12, we see something here, and it's very interesting to us. It says, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto... What's the pronoun there? Them, his living. So he had two sons. Here he divides under them. So what do you see here? Number one this morning, notice with me the generosity of the father. The generosity of the father. Now, by the way, this is a selfish request. Is it not? Give me my inheritance before you're dead. That's the request. Oh, thanks. Appreciate that. You know, talk about not even letting the body get cold. It's still warm and still probably years to live. And yet, the Father is generous. Again, remember who, who, who is the prodigal? He's the publicans and sinners. He's the one that goes astray from God. Correct? And you know what God is with publicans and sinners? He's generous. He's so generous. What a father. You know, again, we quoted, uh, we preached on the rain a few Sunday nights ago, and we quoted Matthew 5.45. It raineth on the just and on the unjust. It rains uh, uh, to, to be able to uh, water the fields of the saved and it waters the fields of the unsaved. You know what the Bible says about God in James 1.17? It says, Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Every good thing that we have in our lives, whether we're saved or lost, is because of a generous God. I think about Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. You know what that is? That's our Father being generous. That I'll, I'll, I'll give everybody enough grace. I'll, 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 I'll plant that seed of faith. The, 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 the measure is in every man, according to Romans 12, 3, that, that all could see how easy salvation is. Remember that story in Numbers chapter 21 of the fiery serpents? 
The fiery serpents came into the camp and, and bit the Israelites. And remember all they had to do? They put that serpent on a brass pole where everyone could see it. And all they had to do was look and live. Why? Because we have a generous Father. I have to tell you this personally. I, I had a very generous earthly Father. My dad always had a couple extra bucks. I remember when I was playing baseball, and it was, it was getting to be pretty good, you know, in the little league years, and we called him Babe Ruth, which was 13 and up. Be a pretty good ball player, not, you know, not going anywhere with it. But, and I remember the reason why was because my dad threw endless batting practice to me. And then when his arm was hanging, he'd take me to the batting cages and put quarters in. Ten pitches, ten pitches, ten pitches, and we'd go and be there for hours and hours and hours. And I remember after, you know, I'd grown up and moved out, you know, my dad would say, hey, I, I got a bonus at work. Let's, let's go, uh, let's get some boots or let's, you know, he just wanted to be generous. I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. God the Father is oh so generous to us. He's such a generous God. He just really is. He gives us so much. Think of every good thing you have in your life. Why? Because of a generous father. Oh, what a father. What a father. So we see the generosity of the father. But then in verse 13, it says, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. We see the generosity of Father. Here we also see the heartbreak of a father. The heartbreak of a father. How heartbreaking it must have been as the father was so generous to both of his sons, but to the one who had made the request. The father had answered it. How heartbreaking it must have been when he began to pack and he said, where are you going, son? He said, oh, I'm going to go off into a far country and I'm going I'm to see what the world's like. I'm going to see what the world has to offer. And Brother Stark, he, he knew what the world had to offer. And by the way, the son would come to know very soon what the world had to offer. You know, I'm not at this stage of my life. Some of you have been through this stage. Some of you dads are approaching this stage where your children are going to make some bad decisions. By the way, if you're a teenager right now, you're a young person, you don't have to make bad decisions. But many do. And the father, the father knew what was coming. The father knew. And he had a broken heart. Can I tell you something, ladies and gentlemen? As God looks down on this sinful world, he doesn't have a hammer like this. He has his head bowed like this. With tears streaming. Because he's heartbroken. I think about that as far as a lost world, but how about amongst his children who go astray, who have experienced the grace of God in their lives and yet who still go astray. Don't look at me like you got a halo on your head this morning either because the only thing keeping it up is your horns. We all do, don't we? All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And aren't you glad? And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus died for all our sins. We've had fathers in this room that have been heartbroken by the path that their children have taken. There's the heartbreak of the father. There's the generosity of the father. In verses 14 through 20, we see something else about the Father. 
Look at it with me. It's interesting. It says, and when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. So that bad decision came with consequences. Young people, it always does. There is an iron law that God has that with every decision, there's consequences. Every decision has consequences. And in this case, he spent it all, and when the booze ran dry, so did the friends. And he began to be in want. And again, this is hard for us in America. Very few of us have ever really been in want. I've, I've been trying to recently just hope I don't lose my reward for this, but I've been trying to do some more fasting. Just as a pastor, just personal health, you know, those things. But Brother Jeff, I do it because I want to, not because I have to. He began to be in want. That meant he didn't have enough money for food, for clothing, for lodging. And he had just gotten his father's big inheritance. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have fain have filled his belly with the husks with the swine did he, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, we haven't seen the father in any of these verses, Right? Just what's going on in the prodigal's life. But here we see him in the thoughts of the prodigal. How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. Say, what do you see here about the father, pastor? Well, we see the generosity in verse 12. We see the heartbreak of the father in verse 13. You know what I see here? I see the patience of the father. The patience of the father. Notice he didn't go into the far country and fund his sin. Hmm? He didn't enable him. He let circumstances bring him to repentance. And you know what, fathers, mothers, sometimes that just takes time. It is so, listen, as a pastor, we get calls all the time, every week. Somebody that needs help. And we, the deacons know this, you know this, our deacon fund is many times for people within our church, but there are, there are times when folks are coming through in, in January and, you know, two little children and no place to stay and we could provide a hotel room for a night for them to be able to stay warm. And I, I, I always joke with the deacons, I said, I'm, I'm careful about that. But I said, sometimes I'm like the Grinch on Christmas Day. My heart grows three sizes, amen, when I get a phone call like that. But I've also learned that sometimes people are scamming and sometimes God is trying to get a person's attention. And Miss Donna, if I bail them out, God is not going to get their attention. Now that is easy preaching and hard living when it comes to your children. I remember a dear friend at our home church. He had, his son was of adult age, you know, had turned 18, and, and he had some rules. You're going to be in by this time, and you're going to be in by that time, and we don't use this kind of language, and all those kind of, you know all that, you grew up in this house. These are still the rules, and again, as my boys will tell you, if you ask them for my maxim, when you pay your own way, you can have your own say. And until you can pay your own way, you have my say. House rules, all that stuff. Well, this young man would not, he would not keep very simple rules. And I remember the man, brokenhearted, told me, he said, I had to kick him out. And he said, I've wanted to go and get him so many times. He said, but I won't do it. He said, it wouldn't be right. Think of the patience of the father here. 
You know what the Bible says? It tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. You know, that's what the world says right now. Hey, where's the promise of His coming? Hey, don't worry. The Lord's not slack concerning His promise. As some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Romans 2.4 says, The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. That's exactly what happened in the prodigal's life. Brother Mike, he said, man, the father sure was good to me when I lived at his house. He was, he's good to his servants, let alone me as a child. I imagine as his belly was growling, Brother Deke, he thought, I never, I never missed a meal when I lived in my father's house. I never had to worry about where my next meal is coming. I never had to worry about whether the, the house would be warm, whether there'd be fire in the fireplace. I never had to worry about whether we'd have this or that. I, he thought of all that, and it literally had to do with the patience of the Father. Aren't you glad God is patient? You know, I was unsaved for the first 23 years of my life. God was patient with me. Can I tell you this? I'm 51 now. For the last 28 years, God has been so patient with me. I like to remind God, tribulation worketh patience. I've given him plenty of tribulation to develop his patience. Amen. Exodus 34 verse 6. It says, and the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth. This father was patient while his son was being dealt with by the consequences of his choices. The generosity of the father. The heartbreak of the father. The patience of the father. Oh, you can't possibly miss this one in the whole story. Look at verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, I've said it so many times, God does not put adjectives and adverbs in the Bible just to fill space. He was a great way off. Say, what's that? A ways. A ways. His father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck, kissed him. Translate that, Pastor. Big old bear hug. <laughs> you know, I, I see here, I see the love of the father. You know, when you I know some of you aren't married yet. Some of you aren't dads yet. I think it was Brother Anto said this morning, he said, somebody said to him, Happy Father's Day. He's like, oh, no. <laughs> Amen. Oh, but I tell you, I hope, Brother Joe, God brings the misses your way. And I think of others of you in our church that want to be married. Amen. But God will give you that little one. And Brother Hutchins, there's nothing like it. Nothing like and you watch your precious wife go down into the jaws of death and you keep yourself just out of arm's reach. You're wise. You did this to me. They come out, all that mush all over them, get them cleaned up, get to hold. And everything that everybody ever told you comes to mind all at once. It's amazing. It really is. You, you, I, before I had kids, you know, we used to joke all the time. I was a youth pastor. I said, hey, listen, being a youth pastor, I never want to be a dad because, listen, seeing other people's kids, I'm like, I'm all set with that. Amen. Then you, then you hold your own child. 
And by the way, some of you have adopted. I'm an adopted only child. Same thing happens. Hold that little one. And there is a love, a bonding. The Bible calls it natural affection. One of the signs of the end times is without natural affection. It's where you get your aborticide. You get people to throw away babies and all that. They are without natural affection because there is a natural affection that takes place. But what we see here in the love is so much more. It's loving your child despite the choices that they made. And by the way, he loved him enough to let those choices deal with him. Because he is going, the, the, the prodigal is going to come and repent, which is what the father requires. And all God's people said. Requires us to say, I was wrong, you were right. But he loved him. I love the fact that he was a ways off and he you know, they didn't have any field goggles back then, but if they did, I could see him, you know. That's calling him by name. I don't know what his name was. That's, that's Jacob. That's Jacob. He's dirty, he's filthy. That, that robe that he left with, it's, it's all dirty. That's him. That's him. Brother Brandon, he took off. He sprinted. And, and I don't know, I don't know if the prodigal, I, I would guess that anybody that was hungry and in want probably have a little bit of a slump shoulder. Miss Judy, maybe a slow step. I don't know if I can make it. No, I don't have any food. But the father. My friend Darren Tharp sings a song about this and it's called The Only Time I Ever Saw God Run. He ran to me. Took me in his arms. Said, my son's come home. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The love of the Father here in this story is the love of the Father up there on those two beams of wood. That He loved you so much that He would send His Son so that you wouldn't have to die in your sins and go to hell. What a Father. The generosity of the Father, the heartbreak of the Father, the patience of the Father, the love of the Father. And again, we see running, repenting, and restoring in that love. God ran to him, he repented, and as soon as he did, he restored him. Get the robe, get the ring, get the shoes, get the fatted calf. We're having lamb chops tonight. Hallelujah. You know what else I love in this? Verse 23 and 24. Bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be what? For this my son was dead and is alive again. He is lost and is found. And they began to be what? You know what I see here? I see the joy of the Father. What's the joy of the Father connected to? When a son comes home. That's not just salvation, by the way. And that certainly is that. Amen. God rejoices when any sinner gets saved, but He also rejoices when those that are His children that have gone astray repent and come home. Joy. The joy of the... You know, here on earth, all our joys are mingled with sorrow. You ever go to a family reunion? I love seeing my cousins and the people I grew up with and stuff like that. But there's always a sorrow. Number one, there's always an empty chair. And by the way, sometimes the family reunions are the funerals. Right? Or there's somebody that couldn't make it. They're away. 
Usually that's me in these kind of things because most of my family lives out in New England. So, And then after so many hours, you got to leave. Time to go back to reality. You know, in heaven, there's joy mingled without sorrow. We'll experience our Father's joy. And you think about that, that entrance of heaven. I don't know what it's going to be like. Brother Hugh Howland, our friend, he passed away yesterday at 10.22 a.m. And Brother Tom, he was immediately in the presence of his Savior. And I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's a hug. I don't know if it's hands on the face. I used to do that with my kids when they were small. I'd always put my hands on their face. Just touch. I don't know what it's going to be. It's going to be pure joy. Here's the father. Son came home. Listen, it's time to be merry. It's, it's, it's meat, as it says here. So we see the, the joy of the father. The love of the father. The patience of the father. The heartbreak of the father. The generosity of the father. How about this? This is really interesting. Verses 25 through 28, we see the elder brother and his reaction, and he, he asks what's going on here. And uh, Verse 27, he says, Thy brother is come, and, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. And look what it says here. It says, Therefore came his father out and entreated him. Now again, compare this to the father not going after the prodigal in the far country as he was living in these sins of the flesh. And yet here, Brother Brown, he goes out and talks to the elder brother. You say, what do you, think, what do you see there about the father, Pastor? I see, I see the wisdom of the father. The wisdom of the father. The father knows, forgive me, when to leave someone in the hog pen for his own good and when to come out and reason with somebody else. And again, it's such an interesting, there's there's so much more to it, but you could look at the sins of the flesh versus the sins of the heart. The, 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 The prodigal was guilty of the sins of the flesh. The sinners and publicans were guilty of the sins of the flesh. Adultery, fornicate, all these things that we know that are the sins of the flesh. But the scribes and the Pharisees and the elder brother were guilty of the sins of the heart. Anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, pride. And God knows the wisdom to let this one have its way with him and go out and deal with this one before these sins turn into those sins wisdom of the Father. He's so wise. Romans eleven thirty three talks about the excellence of His wisdom. And then lastly, and it's really mingled through the whole chapter, but especially the last four verses there, verses 29 through 32, you can, you can hear the bitterness in the elder brother's voice here. He says, and he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. Yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son, not my brother, but thy son, was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots. How did he know that? He didn't know that. Thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. Verse 31, and he said unto him, Thou art ever with me. All that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad for this. Thy brother was dead and alive again. Again, he's reasoning with him here. Look at your brother. We thought he was dead. And now he's here. And by the way, notice he doesn't say my son. He says your brother. What's he say? And is alive again and was lost and is found. What do you see here, Pastor? I see the kindness of the Father. 
as a, as a dad, I'm not always kind. I'm not. I, my boys, they could probably tell stories that would make your hair stand up. Forgive me, if my son talked to me that way, I'd say, who are you talking to? <laughs> That's not right or wrong, it's just reality. Amen. This father listened to, by the way, the son who had to do double the work while his brother was off wasting his substance with riotous living. The, the, the one who was always there for the father. He let him complain. You know, my pastor taught me something years ago. He said, he said, people that are servants, people that love God, every once in a while need to complain to their pastor. He said, as long as it's done properly. Not in a business meeting or anything like that, but just in the office or whatnot. And I remember that we had somebody in our church that came and he was a little bit snappy with pastor. He let him. And by the way, he came back a few days later and said, I'm so sorry. And he said, that's why you have to let people sometimes do that. It's exactly what happened here. And the father in his kindness said, son, all that I have is yours. All you had to do is ask. You want to have a, a, a feast with your friends? No problem. I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. Why don't you go to Ephesians chapter 2 and we'll be done. Ephesians chapter 2. And I want to talk to you about the kindness of my Father. There's the generosity of the Father. There's the heartbreak of the Father. There's the patience of the Father. There's the love of the Father. There's the joy of the Father. There's the wisdom of the Father. And then in Ephesians chapter 2 is one of the most majestic verses in the Bible. And it's verse 7. It talks there in verse 5 how we were dead in sins and He hath quickened us together with Christ by grace. So you say, that moment that you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you go from spiritually dead to spiritually alive, and it is all because of God's grace. He says, and He hath raised us up together and made us sit, sit raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You, you've got a spot reserved in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb, amen. You've got a, a mansion with your, your name on it. But then he says this, that in the ages to come, so not now, but later, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Again, riches would be enough, but it says exceeding riches of his grace in his what? Kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. When we get to heaven, and I don't know how long we're going to look around. I don't know what the process is, and neither does any other theologian. We just know that it's going to be better than we could have ever imagined. That God will reveal His kindness towards us. He will show us His kindness we are going to be there only because of His kindness. Only because of His grace. Only because of His mercy. But it says He is going to show us. I don't know if that means if He takes us by the hand. We walk by the golden shore. I, I don't know. I know this. This is what he said to us in regards to his kindness. And be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. He tells us, because I've been kind to you, because I'm going to be kind to you for all eternity, you be kind. Forgive. 
somebody comes to you and I've, I've seen people, I have literally witnessed it where someone will be convicted and they'll, they'll come to a person and say, would you please forgive me? And I have watched that person go like this. All eternity, God's going to show us His kindness. This father was so kind. He's kind all the way through the story, but especially at the end when he says to that older brother, son, I love you too. That's what he was saying to the scribes and the Pharisees. That's who the elder brother is. I'm right here. All you got to do is ask. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. All you got to do is ask. All you got to do is ask. You have to understand you're a sinner. You have to understand that you're astray from God, that your sin will cost you in eternity, that place called hell. But you have to also understand that Jesus loved you. God the Father loved you. He sent Jesus to die for you, the Holy Spirit to convict you. And if you'll trust Christ as your Savior, He becomes your Father. You will experience the, the love of the Father, the joy of the Father, and especially the kindness of a Father. Hey, you know what, dads? Here's the application today. God, help us to be generous fathers. Nobody pulls a U-Haul behind a hearse. Hmm? Just be just, just stuff. Stuff. Let's be generous. Hey, maybe you're a dad here today. If you're going through some heartbreak. Know this, that your Father in heaven is going through that too. How about patience, dads? Ooh, move on, pastor, move on. Yeah, tribulation does work patience, doesn't it? We could all be more patient, dads. The love of the Father. Oh, be more loving, absolutely, but remember how much your Father loves you. Not just your earthly father, I'm talking about your heavenly father. About joy. You know, I understand life's hard, we have to prepare our kids, especially our boys, our sons, for, for the reality and hardness of life, but there's plenty of joy to be had. Have some joy, spread it around. You know, again, if you've got little ones, trust me, they're not going to be little for long, and you'll miss those days. Wisdom of the Father. Oh, ask Him for wisdom in the kindness of the Father. Let's, let's show kindness. Show kindness, especially to our children. Father, we love You. Thank You so much.